Hello and welcome to another episode of the In Their 20s podcast, the best podcast for people in their 20s. Make sure you are liking and following us on both Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. And as always, this series is hosted by Michael Holmes and Landon Campbell. On today's episode, we are interviewing Brad Edwards. Brad is both an investigative reporter and main anchor for CBS Chicago. In our interview, we discuss with Brad how he became a CBS award-winning reporter and what challenges he faced along the way. Let's go ahead and jump into our interview with Brad. Thank you again for taking time um, out of your busy, busy schedule. I'm glad we could yeah. make this work. We're really excited to have you on. And where we wanted to start was kind of with your college experience. So obviously, uh, you went to Michigan State University and got a degree in telecommunications. And we kind of just want to know what made you want to choose uh, to study telecommunications and how has this led you to have such a highly awarded anchor and reporting career? Well, thank you for having me on, first of all. Second of all, go Spartans. Uh, third of all, my degree in telecommunications was really the quickest way to get a degree. Uh, my dad was an educator. And he was also a uh, really well-known and renowned college basketball and football official, Division One, you know, Big Ten, getting screamed at by Bobby Knight, eons ago, so on and so forth. Uh, I went into education. Uh, my brother went into education. And I think we, we both had thought that we would probably do the same thing. I mean, we'd go into education. I was a big history and English guy. Uh, my brother did eventually go into elementary education and uh, coincidentally is now an NFL official. Um, and I thought I'd go into education and be an official, but I realized pretty early on um, that I didn't think education would quench my thirst. I don't, I didn't think it would quench me for 30 years, three decades of, curriculum and no child left behind and paperwork. And I, I didn't, um, I didn't think I could do it. And I didn't think I'd be good enough at it. And if I was already unmotivated as a student thinking about the prospect of 30 years, um, I turned then to journalism, which I really wanted to do. I dreamt of doing, but I didn't allow myself to dream big enough. I think initially. Um, I grew up in a pretty conservative part of West Michigan, which is really all pretty conservative. And uh, I was gay. And I think having that experience back in that day, 20 years ago, when it wasn't nearly as accepted. I mean, we were talking, you know, in the 80s, you'd see young men dying in California. Nobody cared. Jeffrey Dahmer was killing gay men in Milwaukee and it was almost a joke. There was a young man named Ryan White in Indiana who had AIDS. He wasn't gay. He was too young. He got it through a blood transfusion. But I mean, they babies basically put him in a bubble and ostracized him. So growing up as that being my view of gay, uh, I almost thought I would be a teacher and just kind of hide away. So I didn't allow myself to dream big enough to be a journalist. And then when I came out to my parents and had uh, you know, probably the most wonderful coming out experience you could possibly have, and they completely supported me, I switched my degree 
at that point in time to telecommunications, which would then be basically my fastest track after kind of wasting this education two years. It'd be my fastest track to graduate. And by the time I graduated, which was, I mean, almost in three and a half years, I was already uh, reporting and anchoring at the CBS station in Lansing, Michigan. Um, Michigan State's obviously in East Lansing. Lansing is the state capital in Lansing. WLNS is a weekend anchor there making $20,000 a year for the number one rated show. And I had a clothing allowance of uh, $500 at Macy's. Um, and now this has happened 20 years later. Uh, so focused in telecommunications, which really showed you this love and passion for reporting, um, I want to set the scene. You know, you're now in your 20s. Um, you're being on TV for the first time, uh, reporting your first event. What was that like? Was it really, uh, you know, scary? Uh, was it a tough thing you had to really get used to? Um, I understand, you know, something like that can make a lot of people in their 20s nervous. First time being on television, uh, being trusted to share news and share updates with uh, you know, a certain area or even the world. So what was it like to report uh, for the first time? I was pretty fortunate. When I started reporting and anchoring and I got a lot of great reception, I was really fortunate through the whole ride. I mean, it was, people had said, wow, you know, you're nailing it. Wow, you're better than expected. Wow, you seem like you've been doing it for years. Nier was 21 years old. But it, it really reaffirmed in me that I, I had made the right choice. Like, I was really fortunate because a lot of people, I wouldn't even say fortunate. I mean, pivots are a part of life. Changes are a part of life. And switching careers is a part of life. I was lucky, though, that I, I nailed it right out of the gate. Uh, but not everybody does. Like, I talked about my brother. He went in, become a great fourth grade teacher and now he is the chief sales officer for a medical supply company um people have to make changes i was fortunate in my career in that right out of the gate i knew this was what i wanted to do um i'd always loved storytelling and i had loved the prospect of of changing lives and holding people accountable. And, um, you know, I think growing up gay in part gave me a bit of a chip on my shoulder and it served me incredibly well when it comes to what I believe journalism is for. And that is holding people accountable, giving people a voice, changing policies, changing laws, righting wrongs. I believe, you know, no matter what media turns into, uh, whether it's TikTok or Snapchat, uh, the microphone, whether it's embedded in a device or whether it's a stick mic with a CBS2 mic flag on it, is probably the most powerful apparatus of accountability. And... I was lucky that I switched in college and got on the right path. And so you have this passion for journalism and it is that ultimate goal to give people a voice, make some sort of you know, positive change. 
was that something you were able to do in some of these first positions in your 20s at the at your first news position? Were you able to be a reporter who could bring out somebody's voice? Is that, did no, they give you the ability no, to do I mean, that? Like, I wasn't right away. And nobody deserves that right away. I mean, people talk, it's interesting, they always take ethics courses in college. And just it's gobbledygook. I'll tell you what your ethics are. Your ethics in your first job are going to be what your boss tells you uh, because they've got the experience and you listen. And then hopefully you're good enough to one day become a part of that conversation. And then hopefully you're good enough to then make those decisions and have your boss say said employee has earned the right to have his set of ethics. Um, I was really fortunate that I had bosses right out of the gate and, and bosses ever since then. And I've had a lot of bosses who have hired me because of what I do and the specificity of my skill set. And it's a lot of it is writing and a lot of it's ability to interview, getting people to say the right things, and then taking those sound bites and forming words around them to form really compelling television. But I mean, I knew pretty early on, um, I, you know, the first things you do out of college, I would say the first stories, I can't even look at what I did, you know, it was, it was trash. Um, but Pretty quickly, uh, I, 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 to be honest, I lost a godmother on 9-11. My aunt, Barb Edwards, she crashed into the Pentagon, American Airlines Flight 77. And that was months after I graduated from college. And that gave me a whole new perspective on writing and storytelling and interviewing. It's like all of a sudden I went from this recently college graduated smug 22 year old to a young man with empathy and the ability to relate to uh, the losses that I was often covering, which was critical to my journalistic growth. Of course. Um, so you mentioned one of the stories, um, you know, post-grad story having to do with your aunt that really, you know, would go on to shape your career, provide a lot of, um, you know, experience to you. When thinking back to your 20s, what was another very challenging or thought-provoking piece or story um, that you had an opportunity to report on? It could be something sad, motivational, happy, but what is a story that in your 20s, again, you worked on that you still um, occasionally think to or think of uh, to this day? I mean, it was the toughest story I've ever told. And it was tough because I had to fight everyone to tell it, uh, including my managers. Uh, in the mid-2000s, I was at the powerhouse station in my hometown, which was Wood TV. Wood TV, it's Wood. Grand Rapids used to be, it was known as Furniture City, still is Steelcase Herman Miller. And it was the dominant station. It was a dream to be there. Eventually, I was with there with my best, the woman who became my best friend, the Ginger Z, who I'm still dear friends with today. Uh, she's on Good Morning America. And I uh, remember how hard I had to fight to tell one specific story. And it was a woman whose parents had written me and she was, uh, 
in prison for 50 years for sexually assaulting her adoptive son. Um, and it wasn't fondling, it was legitimate sexual assault. And I started looking into the case and I just thought there's just, there's just no way, no way she did this. But she was a bad witness, she was poor, she had drug problems in the past, and we were at the absolute zenith of sex offender hysteria. You guys probably won't remember, but in 2005, right around that time, the sex offender registry came out. So all of a sudden, all these people had been hiding for years, were online, and you'd type in a zip code, and you'd see where they were in relation to you. This was when it was brand new. I mean, sex offender hysteria was rampant. And laws started popping up. They got to be 500 feet from school, this and that. And here I am going to my boss saying, hey, this woman is a convicted sex offender, pretty freshly in prison now for 50 years, but I'm pretty sure she didn't do it. And my boss was just not having any of it. And I kept digging and I kept pushing and I kept digging. I finally got her adoptive son, who was the one who lodged the complaint, to do an interview with me, not only recanting, but I found in police documentation basically why he recanted. It's because he had sexually assaulted his own niece. And then to get out of that, he said, well, my mom did it to me. And that started the ball rolling that put a woman away for 50 years. And eventually I was allowed to do the story. And this justice system is a giant apparatus and it takes a long time to correct itself but she is uh now out of prison was released was completely cleared was given uh several million dollars and now lives on a lake uh in mid-michigan the 20s your 20s are a gift in that you can take some pretty bold moves, almost mm -hmm. stupid moves. Like this was not an economically wise choice for me. And by economically, I mean, it took too much of my time. Mm -hmm. It cost me a lot of capital with management. Um, it didn't get resolved right away. It's not like I did the story and she's released. It then had to go, to, I mean, it took six more years to, to wow. make it happen. It wasn't a, I got a lot of angry email, like, why are you even doing this story? But it was a sense of uh, righteous indignation that uh, I needed to try to right this wrong. And um, I admired some great journalists uh, along the way. A lot of, you know, the, the guys in 60 Minutes, and I'm so proud to work for now that same, you know, television organization. But um, it has always been a, a plume in a, a, the cap of a journalist uh, when you can say you freed someone from prison. Um, that wasn't the sole motivation, but it was one of the... I can't tell you how, how proud I am that it happened, that I did it. And I don't know at 41 now if I could even do it again. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to share uh, your story on our podcast. My follow-up to that would be, 
you know, since you were early, you know, in your twenties, uh, when this all happened, what's your advice, you know, when you have older people, you know, let's say the company or, you know, recording desk that you're at, you know, maybe telling you, um, or even advising you not to, you know, look into this story. Um, but you in your heart, you know, knew that you really had to get to the bottom of this. What's kind of like middle ground there where, you know, you have the skills to take this story on, um, you have the capacity to figure out the truth. Um, you don't want to, of course, like ruin relationships, but you really want to push forward and figure this out. What's, uh, what's the middle ground there? Um, I mean, it's a delicate dance, but you always have to listen to yourself and you have to remember if your heart's in the right place, you can never go wrong. My heart was to right a wrong that society had done. So worst case scenario, what was going to happen? Always got to think of worst case scenario. And then you also have to realize older people are there. Yes, they are wiser. Yes, they have great gifts for us, but also they are safer. Also, they don't have the collective energy. Also, they don't have necessarily the knowledge, the savvy. Um, you have to it's a beautiful thing when, when you learn these things. Um, but it takes years to, to hone. And I still, I still don't know it. Uh, I can't say this is the answer. Cause if I did, I'd, I'd write a silly little seven step book and it, it'd sell a couple million copies and it'd just be silliness anyways. Um, but it is a constant learning process, but I tell you what, if you don't push the envelope, if you don't pressure your boss, if you're not part of the conversation, you're in the wrong business or you're doing it wrong or you're not going to make it to where you want to make it. Uh, and everyone burns out too. And you got to push through burnout. I, I got burned out many times in my career and it often had to do with dealing with people. I, 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 talk with people on the first day that they go see a psychiatrist about two years from that. I'm there knocking on their door, loss of a soldier, loss of a loved one, loss of a, and, and there was so much loss. I had to almost recalibrate the feeling of the emotion and make it like a, a scientific study. And it, to me, it is one of the most fascinating things you can view it is how drastically differently people react to the same input. And that input is tragic loss. And uh, I, I lost my father in my 20s. And he was uh, my hero and my legend. And uh, a legend, you know, like had his number retired at Central Michigan University Basketball Hall of Fame. And um I, I was lucky enough, though, through reporting to see people deal with loss in, in so many different ways that I realized you have a say in it, too. Um, I mean, you'd see people blow through their inheritance. You'd see them get angry. You'd see them get drunk. You'd see them start a nonprofit. You'd see them turn solely to religion. You'd see them um, get angry with people. You'd see them start loving people. And... Uh, you realize though somewhere in that mix you have some say in how you deal with not only traumatic loss but any trauma that's happening right now 
So you guys in your 20s that are like, oh my gosh, we're just entering the economy and everything's flipped upside down. Uh, I have no control. Completely wrong. You actually have complete control. And the best part about being in your 20s right now is when I was in my 20s, I had to like look up stuff in books. I had to go to libraries. I had to do everything you guys say. It's on the internet. It's, it's brilliant. Like you just have to Google it. And, and uh, I'm so, uh, it's funny. It's like one person asked me what I knew in an interview. Like they were really impressed with how much I knew and how, how did I know so much? And I said, well, I know everything on the internet, right? Because you just got to search it. Um, now that doesn't mean I, I could understand some type of vague theorem or coding or so on and so forth. But, you know, while you have this quarantine time, it is, it is a gift to, if you're not using it to expand your brain, because I'm telling you, at some point in time, it stops expanding. I think I'm around that time where I can no longer input things. I'm just hanging on to what I got. But you guys use this opportunity to market and create your brands and and uh, cultivate your image on social media and who you want to be. Um, I think it's because once this thing is done, there is going to be this huge pent up spending. Like everyone, there is there's like a floodgate right now. No one is spending anything. And when this thing pops and blows, and if you're properly placed next June, July, August, uh, the world will be your oyster. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Brad. There's so many things that students our age or young professionals our age in their 20s can really go out there and brand themselves, whether it be on any form of social media, trying to get out there, trying to build who you are and let people know who they are. And especially with this whole new work at home environment and everybody's trying to adapt to that, you actually have, you know, the office is at your home now. So you can be doing other things, kind of let what Landon and I did um, is coming up with this idea to give students good advice for their 20s. And, you know, we're doing that on the side of our full-time jobs as well. So it's kind of, we have this time, we're young, uh, we're able to put in grit now. Because as you said, it's okay to burn out later. Uh, but as long as we're putting in that grit right now, um, we're able to develop something that can be really useful to a lot of people. Or you can just build out who you are what you want to accomplish and really get on the right track with your career. How are you able to get your personal brand out there when you, you are the main anchor at CBS? How are you able to get your personal brand out there through the stories and through your reporting? Was because I had good bosses, but it's because I was allowed to become a part of the conversation and what I'm doing versus me becoming a person where they say, do this. I had such a fear of going into the newsroom and being given the assignment. Oh, hey, Brad, there uh, is a fence that someone's trying to build and Tucumcari and a bunch of neighbors are ticked off. I was so fearful of doing that story of a planning commission meeting that I created sources, enterprise, got to know the cops so I could come in and I'd have my own story. So while everyone's taking handouts, I'm giving them 
fresh, legitimate, I don't like to say exclusive because it's hackneyed and cliche right now, but, but legitimate enterprise news stories. I don't even think it's talking about the potential of creating your own brand. Be your own brand. I've always seen myself as a manager. I've always seen myself as in charge. I'm in charge of my brand and how I treat people. I'm in charge of many things. I certainly don't have the title. I'm not the general manager. I'm not a news director. I've never had any management experience, but I've always believed in managing from behind. Um, and you can do that by buying your coworkers coffee, uh, writing them simple notes. I mean, when's the last time you've actually, I, during the pandemic was like, I want to pick up a couple of things. Every night I write two handwritten notes, two notes. Some of them are five words, fire it off. People have called me with tears saying how much it's meant to them. And that's part of, I don't want to call it manipulation, but it is curating who you are. Uh, you don't need to sit there on your phone all day. Go ask everyone how they are. There's a great you know, tip about being a one minute manager. Walk around, ask how people are, ask them how their kid is, ask them how, be, become, become that person you want to be. You may not have that title. That doesn't mean you can't walk up to different people and quote unquote, do the manager thing. Uh, just because you're at a cubicle with a bunch of other people in the cubicle doesn't mean you're, you're not a manager. You are a manager. You are managing your brand, your future, where you go from where you are. Uh, if, you, if you don't see that, then you got to start seeing it like that. There is something to be said in this time about kindness. And that's something you can't fake. But it is something that when you practice it, I believe you come, become better at it. And I would, in our era of everything on tech, us doing this on Zoom, we never meet each other. Um, I love the thought of, of this note writing thing has really done remarkable things for me. It's improved my penmanship. It has made me connect with people and it has, what it's done for these people has reminded me of like the little notes of kindness. And by notes, I don't mean physical notes, out there are physical notes, but those little tones they send out of true kindness without any expectation in return. Um, I can actually already tell you though, it's returned to me. It's created business by stories. That was not the intent of it. Um, but it's something to think about. Love that so much, Brad. Uh, there are so many ways for people to be working on actively, you know, building their own brands uh, right now and the work that they're doing. Um, as you mentioned, there are so many different social media platforms as well. I mean, how you present yourself on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. I mean, it really matters. And as you said, too, that's going to follow you uh, throughout the rest of your career. So that is something that people really do need to take into consideration how important it is to have a brand. Uh, that really emulates you know, what you're trying to bring. I think you need to think about what is my brand, you know? And then I also think you need to think about like, what am I also really good at? And drill down on that, become a master at a couple things, you know? Great, hundred percent. And we've spoken to a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs, for example, who, you know, they have um, 
hands in every area of their business. They understand what's going on, but that doesn't mean you have to be an expert in every single thing. You're supposed to be hiring people who are smarter than you and better than you. Right. Um, but still, your you understand it. Your expertise needs to be being the CEO. And, and, and that is an expertise and that is a masterclass in and of itself. And that's also uh, the most important thing of a job of a CEO is hiring the right people who are masters at their own craft. And mm -hmm. when they make good hires, then they don't need to babysit them. And they say, oh, don't worry about it. I got Craig and data. Don't need to worry about that anymore. Well, Brad, we could easily say this interview isn't just for students interested in telecommunications, not just for students interested in investigative journalism. It's not, yeah, not telecommunication at all, because here's my thing. It's like, <laughs> I don't even use that degree. It doesn't even matter. It was, yeah. I used it to get, I had to get four journalism classes, which were most important to me. And then it was like, I talked to my advisor. I'm like, how do I get out of here fastest? And he's like, we can probably sneak you through TCOM. So yeah, this is not a telecommunication. Yeah, and that's what we enjoyed about this interview because this interview is for anybody in their 20s. It's just hearing about your unique journey, um, your yeah. unique professional journey, everything that you've learned um, throughout your 20s, throughout your career, and everything that you've learned throughout this pandemic as well um, is really going to be able to help and give so much value to our audience. So. Thank you. Yeah, and then remember time, too, yeah. remember too what we talked about at the beginning. I don't know if it was on about the spending things. Yes. You don't need to do everything now. Don't buy the new car now. You don't need to go to Mykonos. You don't need to save now. You know, now is the time That's to learn to save. save. If you save, look it up. You save the five grand you can in the Roth IRA, the, the possibility of compound interest will change your life forever and make your 30s 40s 50s and 60s easier because social security likely isn't going to be there don't count on it but but save because saving also teaches you responsibility and yes. it teaches you how to think when you spend and too many people aren't thinking when they spend and that has created another whole world of issues Really, everything you said today is useful for everyone. It's about getting motivated, using the t uh, knowledge we have, and focusing in on that, focusing in on areas that you perform well at, and kind of building the team around you to help you with everything else as well. Um, so your advice today has been immensely powerful, and I think our viewers are going to truly enjoy the interview. Yeah, and, and another thing I would say, like you said, everyone around you, like, love your team. Love your team, your work team. You know, the ones, the coworkers you get along with, the coworkers you like, the coworkers you can learn from. Celebrate them, appreciate them, let them know that too. Because they're the ones that are going to take you places too. 100%. Thank you for listening to the In Their 20s podcast. For a full video version, please visit our YouTube channel. And for more information about Brad Edwards, please visit our website at inther20s.com.